Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, got back late after the game. Uh, being there was awesome. Uh, it, was, it was cold. Um, I wouldn't say it was overwhelmingly cold. I am just very thankful there was no wind to deal with, and that's what made it somewhat manageable. I probably could have dressed better uh, as well. But, you know, I, I digress. It was good to be at the game. I'm very excited to be home to talk about it and everything like that. And then more so what we're going to lead into and the playoffs because we have finally gotten there and these bills have officially reached the postseason at this point in time in that two spot. And we are going to talk all about it. The AFC playoff picture is set. We'll get into it a little bit tonight, but 35 to 23, the Buffalo Bills defeat the New England Patriots and finish the season with a record of 13 and three and do lock up that two spot. As Luca mentioned, the Patriots fall to eight and nine. They came into today needing to beat the bills to make the playoffs. They're in a win and in situation. It didn't happen. So if you want to look at it from a positive, it's two years in a row that the bills have ended the season of the Patriots. But before we get into all that, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this game, I'm going to start this episode off like I do every post game show. Luca, when that game ended, what was going through your mind? Um, it was instantly what the heck's going on in Miami. <laughs> no, it was it was uh it was cool to beat the Patriots and kind of do it in the fashion we did with everything you know going into this game, the lead in and all of that stuff that is well documented and known across all Bills Mafia, and it felt good. But at the same time, it was okay. All all eyes on postseason. We've we've officially now hit the regular season for the expectation of this Buffalo Bills team. So what do we have looking to look ahead towards? Um, and it, it it was kind of one of those situations where I felt like the game was important, and I wanted to see the Bills team really do well, and I wanted to see them you know excel in the way they did. It may have not have been perfect for all of sixty minutes but they got the job done. So, I mean, you say when the game's done, the game was already pretty much done in my head. And I'm sure in most heads, you know, mid fourth quarter, uh, probably right before that uh, touched punt by Taiwan Jones, hmm. uh, where I, I'm pretty sure even with that, it was like, this game is feeling pretty much over. Um, not sure what's going to happen from here on out, but it just kind of felt that way, even though it got a little close, I think, after the score following that. But regardless, um, it it was good to get the win in, but my mind was all focused on what's going on in Miami against with the Jets. Although I think basically when our game was over, I think that one was also. So it was we already knew we were playing the Dolphins and it was OK. Uh, time to do some Twitter searching and seeing what's going on. Mike McDaniel's presser afterwards and what are they thinking about Tua? all that. Kind of stuff. It was just like a lot. It was a lot of thoughts, a lot going through the head, and it was nothing about the game itself that we just watched. It was more so next week. What is going to be happening in that wild card game back in Orchard Park against those Dolphins? And um, it was hard to think about anything else other than that. So I had a couple of thoughts going through my head and they were kind of, you know, set on two different sides of the table, if you will. One side was I was just happy for this team. I think, you know, obviously the week they had the DeMar Hamlin situation uh, to get the good news on him midweek. We covered all of that on Built in Buffalo Live. If you'd like to go back and listen to it, we would love for that on Friday. Um, we talked about that situation thoroughly and lessons we learned from the DeMar Hamlin situation and all that. 
Um, but I was just happy for this team, for the human beings on this team to, to see what they saw last week and to come out and, and get a win. I'm sure it felt good just to get out there and do what they love and play football and win it and win a big game. Um, the other thing I thought of, and you know, this is, this is going to be interesting because when we were doing our Bengals bills pre preview show, I had said I was excited about the Bengals as the opponent for the bills heading up to week 17, because while the bills were riding a winning streak, it just felt like there was something missing. They weren't clicking on all cylinders. And there were a lot of things baked into that. There were the travel issues that went into the back-to-back games in Detroit. Uh, There was the terrible weather in Chicago. There was Josh Allen nursing the injury. Um, But, you know, they were winning games, but it, it just never felt like they were clicking And I felt like playing the Bengals in that spot would have given us a great idea of where this team was really at against an unquestioned heavyweight in the league. And, you know, unfortunately, the circumstances led to that game not being played. And certainly, like, down the list of importance is me knowing where the Bills stand. But I'm still standing here not really knowing, like, where they stand. And I'll tell you, Luca, even after the 35-23 to victory today, the Bills head into the playoffs next week. And we can talk about this game in a second, but, like, while we're here... I don't really know what to make of the form the bills are in right now. Like I, I, for the most part, the key guys are healthy that are going to come back. Von Miller's not coming back. Micah Hyde's probably not coming back, but the guys that are going to be here for this championship run are healthy. And I still, I just don't really know what to make of it because the Patriots are not a good football team. They struggled to get off the field defensively today, but I'm not going to sit here and kill them when I don't know where their heads were at coming into this game. So to me, it's just, Still a lot of question marks knowing what form this team is in heading into the money games beginning next week. That's that's an interesting mindset to have. And I think it's shared by many, first and foremost. I do not think you are alone by any stretch of the imagination with thinking that way or feeling that way, I should say more so. Um, I would say I am a little bit more comfortable than that. I think we do know this team, for instance. I think we know what they are. Um, and when I say that I'm not saying that they're perfect because they're far from that. There is no team that is perfect in this league right now. It might seem like the chiefs are rolling on all cylinders, but I think there are things that they would probably tell you is not working great. Um, It's going to be an interesting situation going into the playoffs with most fans and stuff throughout this week, Josh, because like I just said, I don't think you're alone in this. And I think that's going to lead into a lot of nerves going into this game against Miami. I don't feel that only because this game today, if you want to put this one isolated a little bit, to me felt like a game where it didn't, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't perfect. I mentioned that, but it never felt out of reach or like the result was ever in doubt. And then when players, especially the ones you need to step up, whether it's Allen Diggs or on the defensive side, Edmonds, Milano, Poyer stuff. And I'm not talking about highlight plays like Poyer, for instance, we might even discuss a little bit more further, but like there were issues going on with that defensive side of the ball. And yet Poyer made sure nothing got past him. Just bottom line, make sure these free runners aren't getting by him. And you need those kinds of guys to just be reliable in something as simple as that. And if you can get that kind of dependability from a guy that needs to step up, such as Poyer and stuff, that makes me feel comfortable. Like even like they're in the right mindset, even with all the circumstances going into this game, he knows his job. He knows what he needs to do. And he's not letting anything break that. 
So going into the Miami game, for instance, I can trust that Poyer is still Poyer. I can trust that Edmonds and Milano, who had picks and had decent games themselves, are going to be there and be okay. Josh Allen is still Josh Allen. And we know exactly, you got to live, at this point in time, I'm not expecting anything different from Josh Allen and all of a sudden the picks to go away in the playoffs. You have to live with Josh Allen at this point in time. You take those picks with the 50-yard dots on the run. You just got to do it. It's it's painful, but even even in the lows, you will have highs and they will come. And luckily for us, it seems like Josh Allen has a lot more of the highs than the lows, the head scratching lows. And it's just like it sucks. But I'm like I said to start this whole point, the even with that red zone interception, even with some stalled out drives that just weren't going our way. I never once doubted the result of this game. And that's because I knew I could expect Josh Allen, Edmonds, Milano, Poyer, Diggs, all these guys to eventually step up when we need them. I thought, you know, if you're pulling back from the Bengals preview show, I believe it was even in that show where either you or myself brought up the fact that is there a concern about Diggs and his usage or his production, I should say, and what's going on there. And it's like, no. Because at the end of the day, when this team needs something on offense, guess where Josh Allen's going? Whether he's having a good day or not, it's going to Diggs. And the other team can know that too. It doesn't matter. That's why Diggs is so dang good. That's why Josh Allen is so darn good. Like when you need something, these two are going to find themselves. And I correct me if correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. That Diggs touchdown was his first reception of the second half, I want to say. I don't remember for sure but it felt like it at least while I was at the game. And of course, without having stats in front of me during the game, I don't know exactly, but it felt like there was a long period of time where all of a sudden Diggs wasn't getting the ball and then bang hits him for a big one. That's a, just basically a knockout punch to Diggs. And I feel like that's something that we can expect, not saying that it's a guarantee, but it's something you can expect to happen in the playoffs. Even when Diggs might not be getting looked at for 10, 15 consecutive plays, it will be there if you need it. It's going to, it's in Josh Allen's back pocket. Push comes to shove. He's going to his guy. He's going to find him. And then you just need other guys to step up at key moments or just make their moments count as much as they can. John Brown, just making sure he runs upfield as Josh Allen points him upfield and gets that touchdown. You know, it would be nice if Gabe Davis could kind of step up a little bit more again, whatever you might want to call it there. It, it's, you just need those guys to fill in the blanks or fill in the, you know, the moments that you have to, because the other ones are already kind of in Josh Allen's back pocket with digs or Edmonds and Milano are going to step up at some point in that game and make a big play happen. You would think, or Poyer like those moments will happen because the key guys are always there. And as you pointed out, they're all healthy right now. Those guys are all healthy. We can't expect Von Miller to walk through the door anymore. Unfortunately, we can't expect Micah Hyde to walk through the door, unfortunately, but those other guys are there and come playoff time. It's going to be great. Like those guys will step up. They understand they've been around. They understand what the task is at hand and they're not letting anything outside noise, emotions, anything get in the way of doing their job, the best of their abilities. And I think today showed that, you know, there are a lot of things you could have kind of used it as an excuse to maybe have a subpar day and the big time players were just who we thought they were in all the best ways 
and didn't let that outside noise and the outside problems or any of those excuses that could, they could have had affect their performance today. And that is, it's, it's a commendable thing. Like it's good on them for not letting the moment get to them. And I think that almost speaks louder than the overall stats going into the playoffs, because that's another environment where the emotions of it all and everything can get to them. And these guys are just so well versed and experienced in playoffs. And now with other factors going on in their lives that they should be okay. And we can rely on them going on this postseason run. So Diggs finished today with seven receptions for 104 yards and that touchdown Luca talked about. I don't know what his reception totals were in the second half, unfortunately, the stats I'm looking at. Um, but Diggs finished the season with a very nice 108 receptions, 1,429 yards, 11 touchdowns. Really strong season for Stefan Diggs and uh, one, of the, one of the league leaders at wide receiver. And, you know, to me, the the Bills, we know Allen to Diggs can, can cook. And we know that when push comes to shove, that's probably going to work. Where, where you and I have been is what else can this offense do consistently? I think we feel pretty good about the fact that Josh Allen can run. And, and that's a weapon. That's And especially in the playoffs, it's a weapon they're going to unleash. What else? Uh, you mentioned Gabe Davis. There, there were some real highlight reel level throws from Josh Allen today. Uh, the throw to Diggs was one of the most beautiful deep balls you'll ever see in your life. The scramble and the throw to John Brown in the end zone. Great catch by Brown. And then there was a similar play where he scrambles around, throws it up to Gabe Davis, and Davis gets two hands on it, and he drops the ball. And there was a situation where the second time the Bills had the ball. So the first time the Bills get the ball, Naheem Hines returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown. 7 nothing, beautiful play. First time the Bills have touched the ball since everything happened last week. Patriots come out, go three and out. Bills get the ball back, and you're thinking this could be an avalanche spot. Uh, first play of that drive, first down pass to Stefan Diggs. Second play of that drive, in cut by Davis, should be good for first down yardage. Off his hands, incomplete. Luca, I hate to start off with a couple of negatives, but this is just where my head's at because expectations are up. We're in the playoffs now. I feel like all season long, I've been waiting for Gabe Davis to become this player that I had put expectations on him being in the preseason. And I'm finally at a point now where I'm resigned to the fact that he's not going to be that guy. He can make some splash plays. Um, he, he can certainly get behind the defense in certain situations. And he does have some highlight reel catches on his resume. And we certainly know that he has some big playoff performances on his resume, not just the one in Arrowhead. We all remember last year that was historic. But if you go back to his rookie year, he had some ridiculous catches on the sideline against the Colts. So it's not that I'm giving up on Gabe Davis. But what I'm saying, Luca, is I'm at a point now where I have to change my expectations because every game that's gone by, I'm like, this is going to be the game where Davis really shows up and becomes that high-end weapon that we've been waiting to pair with Stefan Diggs. It just hasn't happened. Does that mean that he's not going to have another big performance in the playoffs? No, it's certainly possible. But I think as an every week number two receiver, as a threat that defensive have to respect, I'm not sure that Gabe Davis has the ability to evolve into that at this point in his career. It's, it's all valid. I, I think this season has led to the point where I, you're not ridiculous to have that kind of thought with Gabe Davis at all. Um, the drop in the end zone for me late in the game that 
you know, luckily it didn't cost anything. Like it, it, it was kind of just a YOLO throw by Allen. It felt like just because there was nothing else there. So let's just rip it and rip it. Um, it hits your bread basket. Like I, an average NFL receiver, I'd like to catch that ball. Like it, I'm not, I'm not trying to disrespect Gabe Davis in like in his entirety and his abilities and his ceiling and stuff and like what he can be because it's frustrating. I think we're having this discussion right now because you see those flashes that you have brought up before and what we all have seen and you just want that at a more consistent level. I just think we finally should be where your head's at now where maybe that can't be expected. Like you cannot expect Gabe Davis to be consistent. There was a play where he got the I want to say he caught it. I can't remember not on the sideline, but his body was in no chance able to control itself. And it just felt like Gabe Davis himself was not controlling his body well. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of made a remark in the stands where I'm like, it's Gabe Davis. I can't trust that he can control his body. And that Colts catch that you mentioned was brought up immediately around me, which yes, yeah. like he has shown he can do it. But again, he, he has not shown me anything in any capacity to show me that he can do that consistently. And I think that's another great example of it. Like, we know he can do it. He just mm-hmm. clearly wasn't even coming close to doing it there. And it's like, I would love for him to do that. I think we all would love for him to do that. But maybe he just can't. Maybe there's just days he can't control his body like that. And it just takes this magical thing to click in his head to then all of a sudden have him have that ability. So be it. There's been a lot of players that have long careers in the NFL that have been kind of that inconsistent. They can still explode, but they're just never consistent doing it. That is an NFL player and probably can have a long career. Gabe Davis can be one of those guys. I just don't think that's one thing we can expect from him anymore. He cannot be consistent and you're not crazy to have that thought at all. It might need to be, it might need to be explored what we can do at that position after the season going into the playoffs though, you're just really hoping you're going to get it for four straight games. You know, that's just the reality of it. You really, really need that or at least a consistent production from wide receiver to wherever it comes from. Because the one thing I would say to you is right now, um, I, I can't believe I'm reading these numbers right now correctly, by the way, Josh, uh, Gabe Davis had 10 targets today. Yeah. Yeah, I was getting ready to come with that. Yeah, <laughs> So he had 10 targets today with three catches for 39 yards. Honestly, three catches for 39 yards, okay. 19-yard long, so it wasn't like one was a 30-yard catch, so it was just nothing afterwards. That's okay. If you were to take that and then add the John Brown catch, because I'm going to lump all other outside guys, so I'm not lumping McKenzie, uh, and I'm not going to lump uh, Shakir in this. So any other outside receiver, so unfortunately for Gabe Davis's sake here as well. John Brown's the only one that was on the uh, stat sheet, but you take that 42 yard catch there. Gabe Davis could easily be that same guy right there that John Brown did and catch that ball. I would think, but in the same sense, I don't know anymore. And as long as John Brown's doing what he did, I'm okay with that for this run. You just need to make sure one of those guys is able to do that to have this run be successful. If John Brown doesn't catch that ball in the playoffs, and Gabe Davis isn't catching that ball in the playoffs, and all of a sudden you run into this situation where Diggs truly is the only guy doing something, that is where I think we could run into those issues and why what you're bringing up right now is a valid point because consistency is something you need out of that WR2, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to be depended on with Gabe Davis, so it needs to be by committee, which is also probably why Brandon Bean decided to get John Brown off his couch and back into this locker room 
and other options as well that he can sprinkle around. Khalil Shakir can maybe be that guy. Who knows? It's, you know, it's kind of he's just filling holes whenever anyone else needs a break, it feels like at this point in time. But um, it's 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 concerning. It's definitely a concern. But I feel like let me let me try to finish this point with a positive note here, Josh. When you talk about, you know, Gabe Davis not being consistent and it's frustrating that we've gotten to a point where he can't be that high end wide receiver two anymore. And I we want him to be so bad. If that's the first thing to your mind about a complaint with this offense, I feel like there could be worse things to complain about because especially for a Bills team where people like to point at something else, maybe that's another thing we can discuss at some point where like the running game might not be as horribly off as it might seem. And there's a guy there that seems to be picking up right at the right time. And I, I'm not going to say his name because I'm sure you want to bring him up at some point in time, but like if wide receiver two is really your only complaint, because even Knox looks like a reliable red zone target again, and, mm-hmm. and John Brown is stepping up a little bit here. You know, you have Beasley who then his act, you know, call ups reset once the playoffs start. And depending on our matchup, he's probably going to be that guy. It looked like in the limited amount of, I mean, the one drive we had for the bills and the Bengals game, Beasley was targeted on a key third and short in the red zone. So it seems like that trust is there. And that might be something you see more, more of in the postseason. Like there's other things there and you're just sitting here. The number one concern you have is just consistency at wide receiver too. Yes. Unfortunately it might not be Gabe Davis, but as long as you get it via committee other than digs, like I'm I'll take it. Like it's not about the person anymore. It's like, you just need the production. I, I feel like I'm, you know, uh, what's his name from Moneyball? Where it's like, I'm not trying to buy key players here. I just need to buy runs. And to buy runs, you need to buy the affordable player. Like, I'm like, just do it by committee. Just get the mm-hmm. production by committee. It's just unfortunately not going to be dependent on with Gabe Davis alone anymore. So you said a lot. And the thing about the the John Brown touchdown that I would hesitate and hold my hand up and say, I'm not willing to just say that that would go to Davis is what John Brown did on that play is something that we have not seen a a wide receiver on this team do with the exception of Stefan Diggs is make a play for his quarterback. Um, What that's what I've been wanting to see from Gabe Davis. The the sideline example you brought up today is a perfect example. Was the ball by Josh Allen perfect? No. I mean, it was catch a bull, but you need Davis to channel his 2020 self where the toes are down and he makes a spectacular catch. Tony Romo even said, man, you expect Gabe Davis to catch that, but he's been struggling this year. I think what's happening is Gabe Davis is just at a point where he's not trusting his hands. And anytime the ball is thrown his way, his entire focus is on catching the ball. And he's not even thinking about the fact that he can drag his feet, keep his feet still, anything like that. And where, where John Brown kind of won me over today on this one play was the ball by Josh Allen was not perfect. John Brown had to extend for it. He had to lay out for it and he caught it. And that's what I have been wanting to see from this offense is we can't expect Josh Allen to be perfect play in and play out. He is, I don't want to say a roller coaster because he's much more good than bad. He is going to bail out your offense by evading rushers, extending plays and giving players a chance to make a a play downfield. But what comes with that is you have to make that play downfield and you can't just expect that after all of that, Allen's still going to put the ball on the money every time. Diggs makes great plays. One of the reasons why you and I were so excited for Cole Beasley to come back was he's not a 4-3 wide receiver, but when the ball is in his general vicinity, he's going to catch it and he's going to make those tough catches. John Brown making that play today is what I wanted to see out of Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis finishes the season with 836 yards and seven touchdowns. So 
It is what it is. There's no help on the way. That Odell Beckham Jr. lottery ticket never came through. It doesn't sound like Jake Kumaro or Jamison Crowder are necessarily walking through that door this week, I wouldn't think. So I think this is the team the Bills are going to have. Um, if John Brown has built up the confidence of the offense, which I would doubt at this point because he only did have the one catch, maybe his role is going to increase. It will be interesting to see if if maybe they activate both him and Beasley next week since the activations are unlimited in the postseason. But you mentioned Knox. I think Knox has really turned it on recently. Knox didn't have a monster year by any means. He finished the year with 517 yards and six touchdowns. But what I've liked out of Knox over the last month or so is making those consistent catches. The Bills won a game today. Let's talk about somebody who really popped. I, I have just been through the moon impressed with James Cook. And I, this is not confirmation bias because I was so excited when the Bills drafted him and we were so high on him in the pre-draft season. And when when Brees Hall was gone and, and uh, Kenneth Walker was gone, he was my third favorite running back in the draft. Um, but what I see from James Cook is what we've talked about on this show time and time again is he has much more comfort level in the style of offensive run game that the Bills want to run. They want to run that Kyle Shanahan zone blocking scheme. That's the way they've built their offensive line. They have five high-end athletes on their offensive line. And James Cook has, has come such a long way from the guy in September who looked like he was second-guessing himself, didn't, know, didn't trust what he was seeing. Now he gets the ball, he trusts it. And Luca, every time he touched the ball, there's a part of me that thinks he could score. And <clears throat> I'm not knocking Devin Singletary. He had the fumble today. Yeah, that, that that happens. But I think what you're starting to see the difference between Singletary and Cook is while Singletary is very methodical, and he will, when there's when it looks like a play is bottled up, he'll still find a way to get you six, eight, ten yards. There's that extra gear to cook that can really stress a defense. And when you talk about the, the magic that Josh Allen can create in the passing game and the way he can stress a defense with his legs to have a guy in the backfield making decisive cuts that has the speed to make your defense really pay if they guess wrong. James Cook has been such a sight for sore eyes. To me, he's the best running back on the roster right now. Yeah, it's I'm I'm with you 100 percent. And it's it's not a knock at motor at all. I think motor is going to be just fine. And he is what it is. I, I feel like it's something I say about him all the time. Devin Singletary is what he is, and there's nothing wrong with that. You want guys that you can kind of just lean on and depend on, and it's just like, hey, I need you to be you. We're going to trust you to just do your job and be able to be as productive as what we would expect. There's always, it always seems like Singletary might be able to pop one for you, and you know, you just, you take that what it is. Today, he does kind of have that same feel where he had one run, I believe it was for uh, 18 yards. And then he just finished the day on 29 yards. It's like, look, that's okay. That that's why he averages just over four yards a carry today. It was just because that one, he finally did pop popped. And that just got his numbers to that point. I just feel like that's always what he is. James cook. On the other hand, you're absolutely spot on James cook. Not only feels like a better running back for the scheme that the bills are trying to go with, but also he just seems like he's a bigger threat. He's not one guy where you're like, I expect him to pop one. No, James cook has the ability to pop on them all. And that's, Oh, like that's, that's far better than something Singletary can provide. I'm not saying Singletary can't get 10, 
15 yards on a run more than once in a game. Like that's impossible. But James Cook is way more likely for that. Like it just seems like something he can do time and time again and really become a problem to the point where the defense has to account for him. And the one thing that this Josh Allen offense has never had to this point in time has had a running back where you just absolutely have to account for. Like you have to make sure there's at least one player, if not two people being linebackers, most likely, but just focused on that running back position. That has not been something that has ever existed in the Josh Allen MVP era. That is just never been there. And if James Cook can finally be that guy at this point in time and be something in the playoff runs, that could literally be the thing that gets the Bills through a game in this postseason run. Just having to account for James Cook and James Cook taking advantage of the opportunities he's given. I would love, love to see James Cook kind of just get the overall starting role against Miami. It would, to me tell me that the coaches and the front office and everyone that matters sees the exact same thing that we see Josh like that would be the like vindication of okay we're not crazy like we're not crazy in seeing that clearly James Cook is more of a threat time after time after time with the ball in his hand out of the backfield than Devin Singletary again Devin Singletary is not someone I'm going to be like ugh, like I was with Zach Moss or any other useless back Devin Singletary is in his own right. Okay. It's just now that you need to kind of get over the top and get to get to that finish line, to get to that goal, you need a guy like James cook to really step up and you have to give like, even though he's flash and dash, it seems like at times. And like, he's just got that pop to him that he can explode. He running backs are always the same in the sense of you need to get them comfortable. And the only way to get them comfortable is just opportunities and constantly giving them the ball. We don't need to run it 30 times with James cook, but I don't want to see like Singletary getting the opening five carries. And then it's like, okay, let's just try to change it up with James cook. I would love to see them kind of reverse that thought process. I would love to see them early on establish James cook is going to be a guy you need to worry about in this game for the other team. And then all of a sudden you bring in a guy like Singletary who can just kind of pound out a little bit more of the physical yards and stuff and just do his job the way he knows how to do it and do it well for what he does. And then all of a sudden go back to James Cook. And it's kind of like you're, you're kind of showing the defense similar looks with two different complete beasts. And I think that could be even be something that brings James Cook to another level because just when you lull the defense into a comfortable position with Singletary, all of a sudden you go back to Cook and it's like, bang. He's just shooting gaps for 10 yards, 15 yards. Like he is much more comfortable looking in this zone style run scheme. But then also it's like he he's by far the bigger threat than Singletary. So now that you're in the playoffs and it's not about hurting anyone, everyone in that locker room understands the goal. Now it's not about, you know, whose feelings, who's the starter, who's the backup, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff don't matter anymore. This is about winning games. This is about doing what's best for the team to win games and to If you really mean that, if the Bills really want that to be achieved, I think James Cook is that guy who gives you the best chance to win games if he's the one getting more opportunities. Today, statistically, he did get more opportunities. He had nine carries to Singletary, seven. But I really feel like it still feels like Singletary is the 1A. I don't necessarily get that feeling. I would love to see that kind of change in, you know, the wildcard game against Miami and all of a sudden, 
Cook is the one out there starting the game. Cook is the one you give the ball two, three, four times on that opening drive, however you do. Like, you want to establish Cook as your main guy, and then you bring in Singletary. Like, that is what I would love to see for this postseason run, because that would mean they understand what's going on, and they mean business, and it's all about putting this team in the best position to win. And James Cook out of the backfield is the way that I believe both you and I agree is the thing to do with that position for this team in the playoffs. I'm so excited about James Cook because he's developed as a runner and we know what he can do as a receiver and the bills really haven't even unlocked that yet. So I don't know if that is going to come in the playoffs. Maybe we kind of hinted in the preseason. Maybe that's something Dorsey kind of sits on until the playoffs. I kind of doubt it. Um, But just as his future goes on in 2023, 2024, there's still levels to his game that he can unlock. He finished this season with, 462 rushing yards on only 80 carries, 5.78 yards per carry. My favorite stat, though, on James Cook, the very first carry of the season for him was a fumble. He didn't fumble the rest of the year. So I feel like that's that carry kind of sticks in our mind because it was our first experience with him. He cleaned that up and then some. I am with you. And I teased you, Luca, before we went on the air. I had this, this James Cook thing I wanted to say to you. And I'm going to throw it at you now. I know it might sound a little crazy, but if if you're just talking about skill position players on this team, so no offensive linemen, and let's take Josh Allen out of the mix. Stefan Diggs is number one. Who is more valuable to this team than James Cook? And my question is more so of if somebody gets injured, which injury would be most impactful to this team? The only other name I can think of is Dawson Knox. I'm not ready to say that about Gabe Davis. I'm not, I don't think there would be a huge drop off at this point if Davis got hurt and Shakir or John Brown had to go in and fill that role. I just don't. So if we both agree, obviously that Stefan Diggs is number one, am I crazy for thinking that James Cook is in the conversation or might actually be the number two on this offense, even though Singletary is solid, the, the level of explosion this offense could lose if Cook wasn't available. Uh, <laughs> you might be a little, I don't think it's insane to think that by any stretch of the imagination, I will say, I don't agree. Um, I think Dawson Knox's value in the red zone, especially for a team that struggles mm-hmm. a little bit in the red zone is just kind of what tips the scale in his favor. In my mind, um, it seems like. I, I look at it two things. I want the most reliable target. Like, as you said, Diggs is the undisputed number one. He is mm-hmm. just clearly the answer when it comes to the most valuable to the offense outside of Josh Allen. When you go away from that and it's like, okay, so now that's the most reliable weapon for Josh Allen. Now let's go to the next important area of the game in the offense. And that's red zone efficiency. Okay. What does uh, Josh Allen look for the most on non-designed plays. So when I say that I'm talking like Reggie Gilliam leaking out of the backfield and clearly it's a design to him, right? Like I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about just broken plays. What we saw today, clearly it's Dawson Knox. It's always Dawson Knox. I mean, the, the Patriots playoff touchdown last year, we thought he just threw it away and Dawson Knox made a play like those kind of moments happen. And it's, that's why Allen always seems to look for 88 in the, you know, in the end zone, if it's kind of a broken red zone play. So because of that, I would say he's second to me. And after that, 
I think you're onto something. I think James Cook then might now be the third in my case. I think James Cook shows enough explosion where it's like, okay, it kind of goes into my philosophy with what I like about players or, or kind of what I also hate about players. So I don't hate Singletary. I just think Singletary doesn't offer you anything exceptional. And that's something I don't necessarily care for in a player. I want you to offer me something exceptional. And Knox might be the only weird one that it's like, I'm okay because of his comfort with Allen in the red zone, because I don't think Knox offers anything exceptional. You can make exceptional, exceptional catches that he absolutely has no business making like the one that didn't even count today. But outside of those random things, like he's nothing exceptional. James cook has exceptional speed. He has that exceptional agility and pop and open field space awareness and speed. It like every get the ball in this guy's hands and he is as explosive as anyone else in this league. You know, he's not Tyreek Hill fast, but no one is. But after that level of speed, he is right up there with everyone else. And because of that, he's exceptional at that. And that's why I put him over a Gabe Davis or a Cole Beasley or um, McKenzie McKenzie or anyone else, because McKenzie, I think, has kind of come down a little bit with me thinking he might have that exceptional ability. Um, Cole Beasley's just, you know, unfortunately what he is at this age. Gabe Davis is too inconsistent to think he's exceptional at anything. Um, and then I'm trying to like go through the list in my head. I already talked about Singletary. Yeah, I, I think that's why it's Diggs who's exceptional at everything. Um, then you got Knox who's just that exceptional target, I guess, for Josh Allen. And then in the red zone. And then after that, it's James Cook, because if to answer a question in a way that supports what you're saying, Josh, if we're just in, you know, it's an offensive at the 40 or whatever, my ranking of players I most likely want to see with the ball in their hands is Josh Allen, number one, always Stefan Diggs, number two, and then probably James Cook, number three. Mm -hmm. That is probably how I rank it. It's like, those are the guys I want to see most with the ball in their hand. So that tells you one thing. I would love to see Josh Allen run it 72 times a game, and I'm okay with this. It's not realistic, and it's never going to happen. People, I know how crazy that is. So let's throw it 10 to 15 times to Stefan Diggs, and then let's probably hand off 10 to 15 times to Cook, or at least get him 15 total touches, we'll call it, right? Because that can be in the pass game as well, whatever it is. That is how I look at it. Everything else is kind of trickle-down effect from there, like, Everyone else will get their production after that. Like those are the most important things. So in that case, yes, I kind of see where you're coming from, but I just to wrap it up quick, put Knox a little bit overcooked just because of Allen's trust in him in a very key position of the field. Sorry for being distracted. I thought I saw that they had posted the wild card schedule and I was trying to validate if it was true. And I think it was somebody named I eat crayons on Twitter. So I'm going to have to wait oh, for a little bit more reliable source than that. You almost got me cockinered. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think that's more of a referendum on Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie guys that we were expecting a lot of out of this season. And look, the money games are ahead of us. <laughs> Gabe Davis put up 200 yards and four touchdowns last year in Arrowhead. If Isaiah McKenzie or Gabe Davis have performances like that, that extend the Bills' season, then I think we'll forget all about the consist inconsistencies that happened during this regular season. Um, but I do think that we can both agree that after digs, this wide receiver core um, is, is really just a bunch of guys and, and nothing that really scares a defense. So guys like Dawson Knox, who I think is, has been playing well as the season's gone on, James Cook, they're going to be pivotal in assisting the Bills getting to where they need to get to. Luca, we did a show on Friday night, Built in Buffalo Live. If you listen to it, we thank you. 
And we gave our keys to the game for uh, Bill's victory. And for you, your key to the game was, hey, Bill's, just don't turn the ball over because you're better than New England. And New England feasts on turnovers. They'd had four games in a row with a turnover for a touchdown. Luca, I'm sad to report the Bills did not listen to you in that regard. Josh Allen threw an interception in the red zone. Uh, Devin Singletary fumbles in the Bills' own end, giving away a Trey White interception that he had just got, which was great to see, by the way. And then Taiwan Jones, Mr. Reliable on special teams, decides to let a punt hit him in the leg and allow the Patriots to recover the ball. Three turnovers by the Bills. My key to the game was this is going to be an emotional game. The Bills were already on a short week, and they went through stuff that is just tough for anybody to go through when they saw what happened with their teammate and their friend. And then there was the emotional high on Friday when they got to talk to DeMar Hamlin. And I predicted that the Bills would come out with a lot of adrenaline and a lot of focus, but there was going to be some real fatigue issues underlying underneath that adrenaline that when the adrenaline wears off and it's time to play football, that we don't know what this team has left in the tank. I do think we saw some of that in about the second and third quarter where it looked to me like the Bills were guessing on defense. And that could have had more to do with the fact that this team just did not have a lot of time to game plan this week with all the other stuff going on. Um, it, it looked like that they didn't, there were just very simple route combinations. New England was running, creating that rub route and man coverage that was just leaving Devonte Parker and um, Myers wide open. And it's like the bills defense just had no idea how to switch things like that. There were some missed tackles in the second half. So I, I do think that was a factor. Luca, our keys to the game, I would say the bills failed at both and still won the game by 12 points. So it, it, I started this episode off saying I don't know what kind of form this team's in, and it still feels like it feels like maybe I'm even taking this team for granted. They're 13 and three. They won a game by 12 points over a team that was fighting for their playoff lives, and um, I don't I don't want to be that person that doesn't enjoy the journey. Uh, there, if you're an Office fan, there's a there's a saying by Andy Bernard in the last episode of. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before before they're gone. And I can tell you all right now is the good old days with the Buffalo Bills. Like this is for many of us, this is going to be the days we look back on 20, 30 years from now. I was like, man, that era was fun because uh, there will be a time where Josh Allen retires and Stefan Diggs isn't here and Sean McDermott's not here. And who knows what that looks like? We've seen what it looks like without those guys before. Hopefully, knock on wood, that doesn't get back to that. But I do encourage all of you to enjoy it because 13-3 and three, division title, number two seed, star quarterback who is the apple of the eye for the entire league. Um, try to enjoy it. It's a lesson to me. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like you mentioned it, Luca. Every team in this playoff field has issues. And that's kind of where I want to go next as we pivot to the to the playoff talk. We do have to do our game balls and game checks. And why don't we do that now? Because I, I want to get into the playoffs. So I, let's put the bow on this game. Um, game balls and game checks. So if you're familiar with this with this uh, segment, game balls are our MVP of the game, and game checks are the player that really did not need to show up. Now, look, everybody would agree that Demar Hamlin deserves a game ball for today, but sticking with the spirit of the rule, we do want to pick a player that did play in the game. Um, obviously, the Bills were very inspired by DeMar Hamlin. So, Luca, I will defer to you to hand out the first game ball of today's victory over the Patriots. I mean, so 
it's kind of obvious, I would think, for the first game ball. Um, I would love to rattle off a couple other ones. Maybe I'll do it before I start doing my game check segment in case you don't mention someone. But yeah, my game ball is quite obvious here. Naheem Hines, take a bow. Like <laughs> it was, uh, it was one of those moments for this team and for him and for everything going on. Of course, the first one and all the emotions that kind of go with that one on top of it was crazy special. But the fact that he then took another one against the New England Patriots, a Bill Belichick team, he took a second one to the house by plowing over. I don't remember who it was because being there and just in the moment, how crazy it was. As soon as he ran over whoever he did and shed that and just basically was in front of everyone just like that. And you knew what was happening 40 yards down the field. The fact that he did that second one was like, holy, this is this is an X factor for the special teams for the third fast of the game. The game that Bill Belichick prides himself on not overlooking and had two of them housed on him. And it was so obvious that Bill Belichick was thinking about it, that the next kickoff you saw come the Bill's way was just that beautiful little one that never went above six feet off the ground. And it was not going to go anywhere near Naheem Hines. It dribbled out of bounds. That is that is the ultimate tip of the cap from a guy like Bill Belichick. That is the ultimate I concede. I will happily take it mm-hmm. at you know, a penalty and you getting it way up the field than you housing potentially a third one on me. So Naheem Hines, thank you for finally, you know, putting one in there. But two, you deserve the game ball here. You deserve two game balls here for that performance so yeah just plain and simple Naheem Hines my favorite stat from today is New England had the lead for 16 seconds they kicked a (laughs) field goal to go up 17 to 14 and then they had the lead for 16 seconds because Naheem Hines housed the kickoff return and it doesn't even seem like it took him 16 seconds to run it back so I'm kind of questioning what I'm seeing on CBS sports (laughs) but that's that's what it shows um Look, obviously, Naheem Hines deserves the game ball. Anybody that watched that game knows he was the difference maker. I will try to, to mix it up a little bit. And I'm going to go with Stefan Diggs, um, seven for 104 and a touchdown, the receiving end of that beautiful catch by Josh Allen. To me, that was kind of like the nail in the coffin touchdown where the Patriots were hanging around, hanging around. And that Diggs touchdown was the one where it was like, okay, like we're the Bills, you're the Patriots. This game, this is not your day. This is our day. And I think even on like a macro level for what the Bills are trying to accomplish on this season, I wanted to see Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs go into the tournament with some momentum. They, they did not have a great performance against Chicago. You could see some frustration boiling over with Diggs the last few weeks. So I think it was good even for them to, to get, I don't want to say back on the same page because that's, I think that's a little bit overdramatic for the struggles they, they may have been having, but it was nice to see them do whatever they wanted to against a defense that historically will make you play left-handed and take away what you want to do, which is throw the ball to Diggs. So without having access yet to all 22 and looking at some of that, I would assume that they were rolling coverage to Diggs trying to force Josh Allen to go elsewhere with it. And Allen and Diggs just would not be denied today. So with that, Stefan Diggs will get my game ball. All right, Luca, with the good, we have some bad. Who are you demanding a game check from in the Zach Moss Memorial Award? Went for 100 yards today, by the way, Zach Moss. Um, who Whose game check do you want back? 
um, real quick, just a couple shout outs. <laughs> I'm going to just completely glaze over any compliment of Zach Moss. It's the Houston Texans. Let's pump the brakes. Shout out uh, to Texans defense. Yeah, Texans defense. You Anyone made some money play? off of them this year. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the safety duo, just real quick. I mean, Dean Marlowe, you know, all things considered, you know, did a decent job. Just kind of nice being back there. And then Jordan Poyer finished the year in the regular season undefeated when played <laughs> like like he, no one could take that away from him and that just shows how important he is to this defense and this team as a whole like props and he deserves an accolade there okay now zach moss memorial award back to the negative here um for me i you know i i have a sense of where you're going of course and i think it's painfully obvious based on how this episode has gone so far um, I will let you have that moment because I know you will enjoy it in a weird way. But I am going to go with a unit as a whole because I really don't know who to fault at all. But the interior defensive line today was extremely disappointing, just extremely top to bottom. It, they could never. It, I, I made a comment while I was at the game, and that's kind of going to drive the point of why I'm labeling everything. When runs seemed to be focused to go to the outside, they were getting cleaned up how it expect. I thought Shaq Lawson, Groot, you know, Rousseau was doing his thing, and the outside runs weren't breaking. And, and I feel like at times when, we, when we're not defending the run well, it doesn't matter where they go. It, like the Miami game comes to mind uh, in December here where they just kept pounding our right side because they we could not contain the edge there. Today it seemed like the edge runs were not there for the New England Patriots. But inside – Oh, they were there all day. Like anytime mm -hmm. they wanted it, the the interior defensive line was doing a horrible job keeping the linebackers and safeties clean. I brought up a point earlier in this episode where Poyer, all credit to him, was making sure nothing got by him. Unfortunately, it seemed like there was one, two, three, maybe even four times where he needed to be that guy because if he wasn't, it was housed like it was in the Patriots game on Monday night last year and stuff like that, where all of a sudden it was just right down the middle, right up the gut, couldn't keep the linebackers clean. And all of a sudden you're asking Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer one-on-one -on -one with a, you know, a bowl with a head of steam and it's just not going to work out. Luckily Poyer kind of held his own, did his job. Um, but unfortunately for Poyer, unfortunately for the linebackers, this interior D line did a horrible job helping them out. Basically, I don't even know how I can say help them out because they just didn't do anything, it seemed like, in that regard. So as a unit, um, it feels weird because Daquan Jones has had a good year overall, it seems like. You know, Tim Settle, all of them have had decent seasons. This game, though, as a collective unit, was just not pretty. So unfortunately for them, I am giving the entire defensive line, interior defensive line, uh, the Zach Moss Memorial Award. You said something that's very key to what happened today is they did a terrible job of keeping the linebackers clean, like you mentioned. And there were so many times that Milano and Edmonds were having to shed blockers instantly at the snap. And that is just not what you want to see. And that's very unlike what this defensive line has been doing for the majority of the year. So I almost want to give them a pass, wondering if maybe they were playing with a little bit too much emotion. You know, you think defensive line, oh, like you want them to be fired up, you want them to be keyed up, but really. Like if they're playing too emotional, maybe they're trying to get in the backfield and they're not thinking about doing their one eleventh. So I, I wouldn't think that this is anything to be necessarily concerned about going into the playoffs, but certainly when it comes to this one game here, it was not what you wanted to see. So I think that's a very fair game check award. Uh, not really a surprise here. Gabe Davis is going to get my game check. Just 
not what you wanted to see out of him today, not what you wanted to see out of him this season. And really, if you think about it, and you could do this with a lot of players, but if you take away that Pittsburgh game, his numbers this year are just absolutely pedestrian. Uh, Luca mentioned it, three catches on 10 targets. He and Josh Allen are not on the same page. They're not efficient when they throw the ball to game, Davis. And um, I think, you know, Hopefully we have four more games to talk about Luca this season. I, I really do hope that's the case. And I think there's a strong possibility that is the case. Uh, but whenever we do get to the off season, there is almost zero possibility that my top priority isn't going to be finding a weapon to pair with Stefan Diggs. Um, no matter what happens in the playoffs, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I don't care if Diggs goes for 204 touchdowns again in a playoff game, the consistency throughout the season has not been there. But I do want to turn our attention now, Luca, to these playoffs because we know the bracket. If you happen to see a schedule, let me know. Obviously not one posted by I eat crayons. Uh, but <laughs> when you look at these teams, I think you mentioned something very important early in the show where when I was like, well, I don't know what kind of form these bills are in. And you said, well, what kind of form is any team in? And what team in the NFL right now would you want to trade places with? And that's that's what I've been kind of cycling through my brain. The Chiefs, they can hum on offense. They really can. Their defense is their defense is worse than the Bills, certainly, even without Von Miller. Uh the the Bengals, I think, right now are probably the, the team that you'd be most tempted to take right now because they are fully formed on offense. They they do have the Lyle Collins situation. We really haven't seen what that looks like yet because the Ravens played most of their backups today and we did not get to see um, more than a couple drives in that Bills game before that game was called. Um, obviously, they, they look good on those two drives, but you know, it's two drives. Um, but I think the Bengals might be the one you make the argument for. Other than that, you know, there's there's quarterback issues with Baltimore and Miami. Uh, Baltimore has no receivers they're throwing to. Miami is just all kinds of banged up. The Chargers had some injuries today, but they seem to be on the healthier side. So so maybe, you know, you look at they're going to have to win three road games to get to the Super Bowl, obviously. And then on the NFC side, the number one seed, Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts, his first game back today was not beautiful by any means against the Giants backups. San Francisco loaded roster, but still there's that Brock Purdy thing that you just wonder if it's going to bite them when they're playing against better teams. Um, the Packers, um, depending on what happens against the Lions tonight, they should be that seven seed. But, you know, they, they've come on strong recently, but I don't think that's a team that you'd be in a rush to trade spots with. The Vikings have been a paper tiger all season with a negative point differential, even though their record is impressive. The Giants, we know, are playing above their weight class right now. So when you really look at it, I don't. I don't know that there is a super team in these playoffs. Maybe it's disappointing because we thought the Bills were going to be a super team and a cut above. We thought they'd have that elite defense and that elite offense. And right now I think they have a good offense and a above average defense. Um, but I don't know who I'd trade places with, Luca. Um, yeah, I, I think at this point in time, it would be hard to move off of the Bills and that's that makes total sense. But at the same time, if someone did want to say the Bengals, I think there is an argument there. If someone said the chiefs naturally, of course there's an argument there. It feels though too much like the NFC. If you want to go to that first is pretty wide open. Like the NFC is, there is a lot going on there that I genuinely don't know. It's so fascinating to me where you have the one seed with the Eagles and as you pointed out, Jalen Hurts wasn't a pretty performance coming back from his throwing shoulder problem. 
and they were playing backups like and that's like okay like now you get a week off to rest it up and figure it out and then maybe it's okay from there but you kind of have that unknown for now two weeks and then you have the Niners who are probably the most complete team if you take away the quarterback but that quarterback unfortunately for them is very important in how is Brock Purdy going to handle all of that he was Mr. Irrelevant for a reason he's played well but playoffs are a totally different beast let's see how that goes um the vikings are like the classic um how in the world are you where you are um but then obviously the bills did play them this year and they somehow got that game figured out and unfortunately for us that's basically the one i look at and go in yep that's the one that cost us the one seed um and then coming back to the afc if you do take away the top three as we'll call them yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to trade spaces with any of those. I will say the Jags, I want to give them a little bit of props here. The season after that London game seemed like it was in a weird spot, and that could be a turning point of either good or bad causes or reasons or lead for it, however you want to word that. It's going to lead one of two directions. And fortunately for them, it led in the right direction, and they seem like a team that has enough young, naive talent, we'll call it, that they could feel like they're playing with house money. They're going to have a home game out the gate against a Chargers team that also has playoff inexperience all over it. And that could be a team that if I, I'm not saying I'm going to trade places with them by any stretch of the imagination, but what I will say is they're a team that I need or I think people need to respect a little bit going into this playoffs. There, there always seems to be one team every playoff run on you know in both conferences that kind of comes out of nowhere in a way of course you know where every team is that's the playoffs they've all earned their right to be there but the jags feel like that one team that could really out kick their coverage and really make a run if they if they just put a couple things together there they they feel like a team that i think doug peterson obviously everything he's done in his coaching career and now on top of it, you have a young, naive, talented team, like I mentioned before, that kind of maybe he even coaches them into the we're playing with house money. Let's let's just go out there and do our thing. Let's just go out there and have some fun in a weird way. Maybe that is what propels them into a win over the Chargers. And next thing you know, if the top four all win or well, sorry, top three in this case, all win. Now they go into Kansas City. And if I were a Kansas City fan, I don't know if I'd really want to play either the Jags or Chargers. And I don't know who I would rank over the other. I know, Josh, you would personally rank. I would not want to play the Chargers over the Jags. But the Jags are a team that I would not sneeze at by any stretch of the imagination. Like, they are a team that, especially if they get a, a playoff win under their belt, they could be like the um, – I look at them like the Browns from 2020. That's kind of what I look at them like. Like, they finally got there. They're young, naive. All of a sudden, if they get a playoff win under their belt, they can give Kansas City a run for their money. And – that would be an interesting thing, but bringing it back to your point, I wouldn't trade it with anyone because everyone has their deficiencies. And I think this bills team is at least one that from the beginning of the off season and preseason and everything like that, rolling into the regular season. And now at this point in time, there has always been an expectation and goal on what they need to achieve. And I don't think they've ever lost track of that. It never felt like a season, even when they didn't have an impressive performance in the second half against the Packers, which then led, I think, if I'm thinking about this correctly, right into the Jets loss and then led into that Vikings collapse that I mentioned here. Like that stretch seemed like some people were panicking. Overall, now that we're sitting here in hindsight's 2020, 
I can confidently think that this team didn't lose sight on what's important, what the job is, what the goals are, and what the standard is for this team. And for that, it's almost like everyone's going to be able to hold each other accountable going into this postseason run. And for that alone, I would say I put the Bills, I wouldn't say they statistically have the best chance to come out of the AFC. Um, to represent, you know, to be in the Super Bowl because naturally you have to play one more playoff game. There's always the cause for a potential loss there. So Kansas City only has to win two games to get there. Naturally, they're going to have the best odds. But I would say me personally, I think the Bills are a probably the best suited team to make that run out of the AFC going into the Super Bowl. And then from there, I like any of these top three AFC teams against whoever in the NFC. So if you're asking me in this entire playoff picture, if I'd like to trade a spot, me personally, no. I think this Bills team, even with some of their holes and problems and question marks and all that kind of stuff you might bring up, have lesser problems, lesser question marks than a lot of these other teams. And even if they're equal with the Chiefs in their question marks, I think they can still you know, go toe-to-toe with that kind of team, of course. We've seen it in the past, and we're going to, it seems like all roads lead to that matchup one more time that um, it's not like I'm going to be thinking it's doom and gloom and it's over once that matchup comes. I'm, I'm going to be somewhat confident that this team is going to be what I hope them to be. And they just need to hopefully not get out punched by Patrick Mahomes in Kansas city or anyone else before that game. So no, I don't want to trade places with anyone. I like where the bills are. I'm comfortable with where the bills are. I, know they can be better and they should and i'm sure they know they can be better as well but i wouldn't trade that for anything else in this postseason you have a healthy josh allen you have a healthy stefan Diggs. you have a home game you have a minimum of two home games um and then as long as you keep winning you will not have to go to somebody else's building and play in a road environment before the super bowl at worst you will have a neutral site game against the Chiefs in the conference championship game. So you have to like your odds from that standpoint. What do you think about this matchup with the Dolphins, though, Luca? I know you're big on if I could have my druthers, I'd prefer not playing a third division matchup just because these teams know each other so well. This Dolphins bunch, though, they are very banged up right now. The biggest question we're going to be tracking all week is the health of their quarterback, Tua, because if he's out, what are we doing? Like, I, I don't want to disrespect Teddy Bridgewater. I don't want to disrespect Skylar Thompson, but come on. I, if the Bills, after all of this, were to have their season go down the twos because they can't win a home game against Teddy Bridgewater or Skylar Thompson or Mike Glennon, like just that makes me question everything we thought we knew about this team. If two is healthy, this team is still scary. I know their offensive line's a little bit banged up, but. I think the Dolphins match up well with the Bills. We talked about this last week or a couple weeks ago on um, the weekend before Christmas where where the Dolphins are strong on defense, their defensive line. They can kind of push around the Bills' offensive line. And where the Dolphins can be had in their secondary, well, the, we've talked about it. The Bills have Stefan Diggs and who else to take advantage of those matchups? Maybe we get our big Gabe Davis game. Um, so I think from that standpoint, if two is healthy – some of the catch and run receivers they have, they can really stress this defense. They were able to run the ball phenomenally a couple of weeks back in Orchard Park. Um, but really, it all comes down to before we even get off the ground with trying to formulate a game plan against these Dolphins, we have to know the health of their quarterback. Yeah, it's it's all eyes on Tua and the Tua situation and everything with that, because 
I'm with you first and foremost when it comes to if Tua is not playing this game and the Bills find themselves in a tight one, it, we're questioning it. And God forbid, if they lose that game, the Bills do not deserve anything if they somehow find themselves in a tight game against that kind of quarterback play. Now, it would be impressive to see Mike McDaniel put up a game plan with a Skylar Thompson and actually have a punch for punch game plan that leads it into a tough playoff game. And it's a playoff game. It's a, it's a team in the playoffs for a reason. They're a good team, all things forward, but without Tua, it's clear. I mean, Skylar Thompson just got a horse collar call in his favor in order to beat the uh, Joe Flacco jets who also, by the way, I think the jets had sauce Gardner go out at one point. Mm -hmm. uh nine to six and then a safety obviously made it 11 to six i don't want to talk about that safety at all for personal reasons um but if that's what you would expect out of the offense without two uh yeah the the bills should be able to handle that team well so now you bring it back to the two conversation if Tua plays this game and is at good health at full health i would say it leads everything into exactly what you pointed out i am not a fan of playing a divisional opponent for a third time. It's the ultimate equalizer that you don't want to have in the playoffs. A, an opponent that is extremely familiar with you. Like that is the one thing you do not want. Like it's one thing to have an opponent that then gets a week to study you on tape and stuff, say like the chiefs or whatever's going on, right. That they can study film on you. It's another that has already played you twice in two different environments understands your inner workings, your ins, your outs, your faults, your, your strengths, everything. And no one knows that better than a divisional opponent because they have had 120 minutes on a field with you and they know exactly where to go from there. So in that regard, it makes me nervous. It's what makes me think when you play a divisional opponent in the playoffs, you need to almost elevate your strength even more so. So when I say that, it's like, okay, we're playing the Dolphins. I need the most out of Josh Allen that I could possibly get. I need him carrying the ball over the a number of times I would normally expect against any other team. I need Stefan Diggs to get one and a half times the targets. I need those things that we do the best to be the things we almost go over the top and try to do over and over again, because it's going to be the one thing that we have better than them. And like the Dolphins are going to drive just try to focus on that dominance in the trenches with the defensive line. And they're going to know exactly what they need to do to dominate that from play after play after play. I would fully expect that from them. And that's what I don't like about the matchup. If Tua is healthy, I am concerned kind of it's like they did out. I will say this. They outplayed us as we've talked about in that game in Buffalo just a few weeks ago. And the bills, Fortunately for us, got the win, locked things up that were at stake in that game. And we are now in the position we are, thankfully, to that win. What I will say is I don't expect that to happen again because I would hope that this coaching staff and this team understands where they were able to get a lot of their production and everything were just a few different things that we really need to work on. And like I mentioned today earlier in the episode, the one thing the Patriots weren't doing were running on the edge or pounding us on the right side, let's say, or the defensive line's left side. And like, that was the one place to be quite honest that the dolphins were just chewing this defense up alive. And maybe that's just something they're exceptional at. And, and we, there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it, but I imagine there's going to be a much more focus on that 
in this upcoming matchup because you just can't allow that to happen again. You just absolutely cannot make them figure something else out. Do not let them have the same thing they already had against you in one previous game. I I came away from that game thinking that the Bills defensive line was completely undisciplined. They were trying to sack the quarterback on every play and the Dolphins caught them off guard with an amazing game plan. And I would fully expect if Tua plays that the Bills defensive line is much more disciplined and maybe they don't put as much of a priority on trying to sack the quarterback, stay disciplined with your rush lanes and play coverage and just make sure you tackle. And I would feel pretty good about that game plan. The line right now is nine and a half from what I've seen. And I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet. I know you've been busy all day, but what does that line tell you, Luca? I know you kind of like to to look into these things. Like what does Vegas know? Uh, The form Miami's in with or without Tua. That feels like a hedge to me. Like they're trying to find that sweet spot to leave it to where if Tua plays, excuse me, if Tua plays, they can, um, the money will obviously come in on Miami for a little bit until it gets up maybe closer to a touchdown. Or if Tua doesn't play, I think that line goes a little bit closer to maybe 13 or 14. What does that line say to you about maybe what Vegas is expecting out of the Dolphins quarterback situation? Or is it simply Vegas doesn't even know? I think so. Vegas doesn't, you know, have a time machine. Vegas doesn't have a crystal ball. They don't have bugs in the facilities of all 32 NFL teams and know the inner workings better than the public or the media or, you know, stuff like that. Right. So I'd say that because this to me is a line that makes them go under the assumption that they tip the scale more towards Tua not playing at this point in time. I think if they tip the scale more at Tua playing, they would have opened it. I think you're spot on at a touchdown because. If two is playing, I would even in like that confirmation were to come, I would expect it, expect it based on the two previous games they would have as evidence Vegas to even bring that down and more money might even come in a little bit on a touchdown spread to bring it down to like, say, five and a half. I think that's where the sweet spot would be with that one with Tua confirmed to be playing. Maybe that's me giving a little too much respect to the Dolphins compared to you, whatever it is. I think five and a half to seven makes sense, though. Like right there, that's kind of the difference between, you know, the Dolphins and the Bills with Tua playing. Um, But yeah, when I saw it, I think I saw it even open at uh, minus 10. So that tells me maybe it moved half a point, depending on what sports back you look. Maybe you're looking at a different sports book than I looked at. Who knows? Um, That line, when I saw that open up at first, was just them going under the assumption that they think Tua might not be playing and they're just waiting to see maybe till uh, Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, you know, the first time that someone needs to really address his health status to see where it goes from there, because then I'm with you. If Tua is no longer playing, if Tua is like kind of like really doubtful or ruled out and stuff like that, that line is going to be a two touchdown line. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that is going to be what it is. And it's crazy to think of a playoff game and a two touchdown line. I don't know what Steelers chiefs was last year. Uh, It probably was close to that, but just weird to see a playoff game with that big of a spread. But in reality, yeah, the, the line isn't them knowing something more than the media or, you know, anyone else that's public information. But I would say it's just them kind of hedge is a great word or just living under the assumption that it tips more towards to a not playing than him playing. Because if they thought he was playing, there's no way they open it up at 10 points. Like I that would be incredible to me. They, the amount of respect they'd have for the bills at that point would almost seem ridiculous. <laughs> like <it laughs> to a plane is not a 10 point difference to the bills like that's OK. Let's let's pump the brakes on the love. <laughs>
I would I would almost be nervous that the Bills would see that and be like, oh yeah, we're ten point be- we're ten points better than the Tua led Dolphins. It's like okay, we're going to the playoffs, man. Like ten points is a lot of points. That's a lot of points. So with their full starting quarterback, I don't think it's that. So nine and a half tells me they lean under the assumption that he's not playing. Be interesting to follow. Um, you know, I I'm all about the path of least resistance. So if Tua doesn't play, as long as there's nothing like long term wrong with him like i'm not rooting for that obviously like i think that would make me a pretty sick person after what we saw this past week um but i would certainly prefer an easier path for the bills um if that's the case we will see what happens i just noticed on sunday night football that green bay packer linebacker quay walker got ejected for shoving an athletic trainer on the lions for tending to a player on the field that's an interesting move after what we've seen with the athletic trainers this week and with five minutes to go in that game, the Packers are trailing 20 to 16 to the Lions playing for their playoff life. You got to guess for where this Bills game is going to fall. We have two Saturday slots, three Sunday slots, and then one Monday night slot. My guess, Luca, is that the Saturday night slot is going to be that Dallas Tampa bit game. That is just going to be a ratings bonanza. And I'm thinking that the Saturday night is going to be the, the slot that's the premium one. And I think depending on what happens in this game tonight, if Green Bay wins, that Green Bay-San Francisco game is much more attractive than a Seattle-San Francisco game. Um, I'm not sure. I would almost think that Seattle-San Francisco might become that Monday night game. Not Not a long travel for those two, similar to Arizona and the Rams last year. Um, you know, those two teams are, are later West coast teams. I could see that even being appealing for that. Um, if green Bay wins, I don't anticipate bills. Dolphins would be Monday night. I would think maybe you might even get Bengals Ravens. I might think that the bills dolphins maybe kick off the day on Sunday at that 1 PM spot, but I am literally just guessing. Um, yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. I kind of was thinking, um, that could even be the, it's it's weird to say because I feel like the opening playoff game, so the Saturday afternoon game, is generally one that's like not one they value too, too much. But that could also be the one that randomly pops in my head. And I'm like, you know what? I could see a 2v7 Bills-Dolphins game there. Just something about it makes sense to me. It almost seems like they want to get the Bills game in there bright and early and just kind of see where that goes. Um, if I was a Dolphins fan, I'd hate that because you want that extra day maybe uh, for Tua. But um, I think you're spot on with. So Tampa, Dallas is just going to be, um, you're, <laughs> you're right on the money with that one. That one seems like, okay, whoever gets first pick and wants to put it in the best spot, that's your number one TV one. Mm-hmm. Like That's Tom Brady. It's Dallas. It's everything you want. There's a reason it was the season kickoff in 2021. Like it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I could see, so I'll give, I'll, I'll give it this way. I could see the, if I had to pick a slot each day, I would see the afternoon slot on Saturday. Of course I would see Mm -hmm. one o'clock slate makes sense. And I can see the bills being the Monday night game. Potentially I can see all three of those worlds. I can see all of those. I don't see them being the four o'clock on Sunday. I don't see them being Sunday night. And Saturday night, I would love it. Me personally, I would love Saturday night for the Bills uh, Dolphins game. I just think you're also spot on with that. That seems like the money Saturday night. Like no one has to worry about the next day with work and stuff. You're going to get the prime audience. And that really does seem like Tampa, Hmm. Dallas. You just said something that triggered something in my brain. Martin Luther King weekend. Would that move Sunday night football to be the 
is Sunday night now the premium slot. What we both agree, whatever the premium slot is, is going to yeah. be Tampa Dallas. Yes. And what's fascinating is if Green Bay comes back and wins this game, we've we've been mocking the NFC all season long. All three NFC games from an NFL market standpoint, massive games. Green Bay against San Francisco, Dallas against Tampa, and then you have the New York Giants, the, the New York market going to Minnesota. Those games are not going to get shortchanged when it comes to market size. So I would think that I, I think that that Saturday opener has Jaguars Chargers written all over it. It's mm. a good enough game to kind of reel you in, but you still have that AFC South where you still got the Jacksonville market. And while the Chargers are LA, they're not like really LA. You know, like they, they're not like the L.A. team that people think of. So that to me has Saturday night written all or Saturday afternoon written all over it. Um, sure. I do think that if the Lions, who apparently just got the ball back, um, oh. win this game, that Seattle San Francisco game just just becomes like that that stick out like a sore thumb. Like we had such a good thing going NFL wildcard weekend. And now the Seahawks are here to spoil the party. Yeah. Uh, no one like you know what I said about divisional opponents when we're talking about the Dolphins and stuff. Niners, Seahawks, like, come on, man. Nobody <laughs> no, wants to see that. No one wants to watch that. Like the Niners know everything they need to know about the Seahawks. They're gonna. It's not like they would take them lightly. Again, mm -hmm. you understand this team very, very well. It's why you saw what you saw with the Rams, Cardinals, like. Uh, it's why you saw what you saw with the Rams Cardinals last year in that Monday night wildcard game. The Rams just knew all the inner workings and you have nothing to hold back. It's not like you just go, okay, like soft coverage play here, blah, blah, blah. You're not trying. Everyone's playing all out every play. You're giving them your best. You're doing everything, you know, will kill them time after time, after time, after time, you want to beat them into submission. And there is no better example than that of the last year's Monday night wildcard game. And when two divisional opponents play, there is a good chance for that. So, I mean, look at Bill's Patriots <laughs> last year. Like, it's so funny how that works out. When you play a divisional opponent, it could go one of two ways. Either that underdog understands all your stuff and it's going to creep in real quick and it becomes a problem. Or that better seed team just understands all your deficiencies and just pounds you into submission. And it never really becomes a game in the first place. It's very interesting how that generally generally speaking seems to be how one of two ways that those games go um and, and like it just always feels like divisional games have a better chance of those two than normally better team wins when they're unfamiliar like better team always generally wins talent most talented team wins um yeah mlk day being monday this week and stuff yeah. that's an interesting point yeah sunday night could be more advantageous than first thought um which part of me wants to welcome that because then yeah I would love Bills Dolphins to slide in that Saturday night if they would love to have the Bills, who are a great TV market for some reason, uh, <laughs> put against the Dolphins, who are now back in the postseason. Maybe they're trying to, I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to kick ideas here. That's really what I'm doing, you know, on the spot live. It'll be fun when that information finally comes out. It's interesting that they haven't already put that out there, though, Josh. I, at this point, recording 11.09 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, American yeah. Standard Time. It's fascinating to me that that information is not already out and um, but it's going to be exciting when we figure that out. And we're kind of stalling because there's like three minutes left in this Sunday night game as we're recording and we're hoping to get this information to you. It's not going to happen, but I, I do think it's just a big swing on this Sunday night game because if Detroit wins that Seattle San Francisco game is just 
that that's not that's a nothing game. That's a San Francisco squash. I think most people would see it that way. Seattle really fizzled out as the season went on. They barely beat the Rams, who have like a shell of a roster today. Um, but if Green Bay makes it, Green Bay San Francisco is just a beauty. Um, so I think if if for some reason the Lions do hang on and win, that San Francisco Seattle game slides right into Monday night. You can dress it up with a Manning cast, and people will watch it because it's Monday night. And they'll be comfortable doing so. But that's a perfect Monday night game. I do think that if if Green Bay makes it, the Bills are in play for that Monday night. I would guess Cincinnati, Baltimore. This is assuming Green Bay makes it. But I think the Bills are in play for that. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. We're not going to get there, though. There's two and a half minutes left. And we are we are grossly over time here. And Luca, any final thoughts on this bill season on this game today against the Patriots. Did it mean anything special to you to see the bills two years in a row now put the final nail in the Patriots season? It did feel kind of good. It feels nice. It's I'm not the kind of guy that dwells on the past though. And even though it was a long torturous past of with the Patriots and everything that goes with that. um, I just think Yes, it's cool we ended the Patriots season, but we're 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 better than that to just think about something as little as the Patriots as the at this point in time and ending their season feels sweet. It's like, no, all right, we're we're the goal of this year. If you go back to the history of our podcast, Josh, and you listen to it and you understand where our mindset was when it came to this team going into the season, my final say on this episode has to be. I feel like this team has achieved exactly what it expected to going into this. It may have not gone exactly the way we expected, but what I love is Josh, they finished with three losses on the year. They finished 13 and three, not 14 and three due to everything we know. Um, Both you and I projected this team to be 14 and three in different ways. Losses were going to come in different places. The interesting part is you actually predicted two of the three losses correctly. Uh, so props to you. I did a little back dig in there. Um, but they're exactly where we expected. The unfortunate part is they just didn't get the one seed. We thought that would have been good enough. Unfortunately, it wasn't. We never know if we would have, if that Bengals game would have played out, of course. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, if only that game actually was able to be finished. You know, it's just, it is what it is. You got to live with the reality. and. I don't think this team is underachieved. I just think they haven't hit a couple things that we hoped they would do, like the Gabe Davis situation, like little things like that. And if that's the only complaints we have about this team going into the playoffs, to me, I'm kind of in a weird comfort with that. It's like, okay, this team is pretty much exactly what we expected going all the way back. It's not a perfect world. It wasn't exactly what we expected. But overall, it is what it is. And we're now in a great position as a organization to put ourselves into that end goal of being in the final game of the season due to what we have in front of us. And as you pointed out, if they win the next two games of their season, they guarantee that they do not have to play a road game from there on out. It's a great spot to be. I'd, I'd rather play in neutral site stadium than Arrowhead. So... If that's my consolation for unfortunately not being the one seed, so be it. Like, that's okay. It sucks why we're at that position. It's, you know, obviously bigger than the game and bigger than the playoffs and all of that stuff. But 
at least we don't have to go back to Arrowhead if that matchup comes. So I'll take that as a mini win and um, we'll go from there. And um, this team is, this team is for the most part overall, what we thought it was Josh. And I think that's something we can be proud of. And I'm very, very excited for the playoffs to start. They're going to take their shot, get through this Miami game. I think the AFC is, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard for me. I, I don't think Baltimore is going to beat Cincinnati. I think Buffalo is he- heading for a collision with the Bengals in round two. And the Chiefs are then either going to take on the Jaguars or the Chargers. And I mean, this AFC playoff throughout is just going to be beautiful matchups. Survive the Dolphin game, get in the race, see what happens. This team has all the ability in the world to do what we've been dreaming of this team doing since we started watching them. It may not be as talented as it was when the season started, but very few teams are, and they certainly have the talent with inside that locker room right now to be the best team in the sport. And a lot of betting markets still think they are the best team in the sport. And now they get a chance to prove it. Well, we have a week of really paying close attention to the Miami Dolphins injury report and practice reports, digesting all the information on these Miami Dolphins and the rest of the NFL playoffs. And Luca and I will tell you everything we've come up with on Friday night for Built in Buffalo Live. We will be there at 9 p.m. Eastern, breaking down every square inch of this Bills-Dolphins matchup. Please join us. Hop in chat. Ask us questions. We love to talk ball. And then Luca and I will be back on Bills chat. Win or lose. Please don't lose. Um, next week to discuss the Bills Dolphins game. Although if they get moved to Monday, we may have to have a little bit of a scheduling conversation. We will find out here in the next few minutes. But for Luca, I am Jeff Koch. We will see you next time on Bills Chat. Mm-hmm.